uh, Psalm 119, and uh, our text is uh, Psalm 119, beginning in verse 81 and uh, going to verse 88. Uh, one one uh, commentator on these verses say that these uh, verses, as well as the verses in the next eight verses, uh, eight verse section of Psalm 119, constitute the dramatic center of Psalm 119. So we are at the heart right now of, of this psalm. Uh, and it is interesting that uh, in the section that we're going to read in just a moment, uh, the psalmist describes uh, intense uh, spiritual suffering and pain and uh, is questioning God uh, as to when there will be relief from the difficulties that he is experiencing. So suffering uh, is expressed. In the, in the next eight verses that Pastor Rob will preach next week, um, there are some wonderful comments uh, and one, some uh, expressions in that section of uh, confidence in the word of God. And you notice that, for example, in verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. There you have uh, a beautiful expression of confidence in the word of God. So these two sections form the, the, the dramatic center of Psalm 119. So uh, let's look together then at... Uh, as uh, I will read uh, verses 81 through 88. Hear the word of God. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, and yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's join together in prayer. O most gracious and heavenly Father, we come to your word this night uh, mindful even of our own weakness and the struggle of faith that we ourselves go through. And yet, O oh Lord, you enable us by your grace to continue to hope in your promises. So, Lord, as we look at the experience of the psalmist so long ago, May you teach us by your spirit that we might depend upon you in every circumstance 
Grant this, we pray, through Jesus Christ, whom you have given to us to be our mediator and to carry us out of Egypt into the promised land, out of the darkness into light, and out of the emptiness of this world into the joy of fellowship with you. Oh, how we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us now, we pray. Through his name we pray. Amen. Uh, the, uh, the biblical teaching uh, on the subject of hope is uh, central to the Bible. And uh, I would call your attention on the theme of hope to some very well-known uh, passages in the New Testament having to do with hope. The Lord had called to live uh, in covenant with him that coming and not only were they a long time coming, but they were against everything that Abraham knew to be true in terms of his own earthly existence. And the promises were made in such a way that the only way that they could be fulfilled is if the one who is the El Shaddai, the one who is able to overmaster nature, would take nature and do that for Abraham, which nature in herself was unable to do. And so, in the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gave life to the dead, Paul writes to the Romans, and called into existence the things that do not exist, in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. He considered the barrenness of, his, of Sarah's womb, and yet we're told that no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew in his faith, and he gave glory to God. And here's why. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. And it is that conviction in the power and the ability of God to keep the promise that he had made to him that is the reason that when it is said that Abraham believed God, God declared him and counted that for him as righteousness. And it is that which is held before us by the Apostle Paul in Romans, pointing out to believers in our day that it is through that kind of confidence and belief in Jesus Christ, resting in him alone for salvation, knowing that it is through his bearing our curse on the cross that our sins are forgiven, knowing that it is through his resurrection from the dead that we also have the promise of eternal life. And no matter what stage we are in in redemptive history, 
whether we are in the time of Abraham or whether we are in the time in which we exist with the coming of the Messiah and the age of fulfillment where the, the dawning of, of, the, of the age to come has occurred in the resurrection of Christ. No matter what period of time we are in in redemptive history, those promises still lie future. Until the Lord Jesus Christ comes, we live in hope. And it is the word of God to us that we know and must place our confidence in in the very same way that Abraham did in which the Apostle Paul describes so wonderfully in Romans chapter 4. He's a model of a believer who lived in the hope and the confidence that God's word is true. Someone has said that uh, hope is waiting with confident expectation. Hope is waiting in confident expectation. It's very closely related to what faith is. Faith is trusting, relying upon the word of God and the promise of salvation in Jesus Christ. Hope has that future orientation that there is something that God has promised and has held out for us in the gospel that is still future that we do not yet have. And because we don't have it, there is a characteristic to the believer's life who lives in hope of groaning. Paul describes that in Romans chapter 8, where he says, because uh, all of creation is groaning, waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming again, and in the adoption, waiting for the adoption of sons, which he considered, and the resurrection of the body, waiting for all of that, uh, Paul says, we groan. And it's that groaning that is the note that we often feel. If you have the Spirit of God within you, it's that sense of incompleteness. It's that sense that there is that which you still lack. There is that sense that the, the, there is a greatness and there is a wonder that still lies ahead for you. There is a destiny that God has called you to. To be raised together with Christ and to share in the glory of Christ. To be a fellow heir with Him. And to join Him in the heavenly places. So the Bible uses this idea of hope as something closely related to faith, but it is something that has a future expectation and therefore has a groaning aspect to it. We feel our incompleteness. We feel our struggle with sin. We feel the power of Satan. We feel the temptations of the flesh. And all of these things mean that we live in a, in, a, in a time of war. We live in a time of struggle. And so often we cry, How long, Lord? How long must I endure? And that's where we come into this, these verses that we're going to be looking at tonight. The psalmist begins with these words, My soul longs for your salvation. 
I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, and yet I have not forgotten your statutes. And so what I'd like to do is look at this, these eight verses under three headings. First, hopes travail. Hopes travail. And then, secondly, hopes prayer. And then, thirdly, hopes sustenance. Hopes And so, we look first at hopes travail. The ESV translates verse 81. You'll notice in verse 82 the word longing or long. My soul longs for your salvation. And then in verse 82, my eyes long for your promise. The Hebrew word that that translates uh, means Actually, to be brought to an end. To be brought to an end. It describes someone who is completely consumed or has the feeling of being consumed and deprived of all strength. And so the ESV sees that longing as a desperate thing. It is a desperate thing that the psalmist feels. He feels that his life, his inner vitality, his spiritual vitality is drying up. That he longs to know the life of God in his soul. He longs to experience the fulfillment of the salvation that God has promised to him. It's a little bit stronger. The word is a little bit stronger. It has a different flavor than just merely... uh, Longing, as I, as I would normally use that word, it is much more of a, of a desperate feeling that he has come to the end of himself. He feels that his resilience, his powers, his power to face life as he is experiencing it, all of that is drying up. Have you ever felt, have you ever felt that kind of feeling I'm coming to the end of myself. I don't know if I can go on any more. That is really what he is expressing. And as he expresses that, he says, my eyes are coming to an end. I am looking and I've been waiting and I've been looking for your promise. And I feel as though I don't know if I can keep looking. When will you comfort me? When will you come to me? And he uses a strong image to describe this travail of his soul. It is the image of a wineskin in smoke. The ancient people of the ancient East, when they would kill an animal, they would use the skin of that animal 
and they would cut the skin of the animal in a particular fashion so that their narrow openings in the skin would be tied off and then it would be dried and it would be used as a sack to hold fluids, to hold water or milk or wine. And now those, those, those sacks would hang in the tents of the people as they lived in their tents. And you can imagine, you know, they, they have a fire in the center of, of their tent and uh, they use that for uh, cooking or whatever. And there's smoke. And, and, and as, the, as the smoke affects the skins that are hanging on the wall, they, if they don't have anything in them, they're going to dry up. They're going to have a lack of moisture and that, that lack of moisture is going to mean that over a period of time, that skin is, be kind of, going, to, is going to dry out. And so when the psalmist is thinking of his own soul and his own longing and his waiting and his feeling that he's coming to the end of himself, he pictures in his mind's eye a dried up sack meant to hold fluids but with no fluid in it. Empty and drying. And so the psalmist is saying that when these, that, that his own soul and his own uh, feeling, his affliction and his troubles have been going on for such a long time. And it has continued for such a long time. This, that he doesn't know if he's just going to shrivel up and become spiritually useless. His strength is almost gone. That's the picture. That's the picture. You can see how readily that image would come to his mind and, and how uh, well that adapts itself to our understanding of what his prayer is. Prayer is that God would come to him and deliver him, and to bring him salvation. Charles Bridges makes a comment on these verses. He says, the strength of the strongest of God's people proves but small. When afflictions press heavily, and expected help is delayed, though the soul faints, Bridges says, it will not fail. Ever in time of help turns to wait. Waiting on God is a great part of living by faith. That's what Bridges is pointing out here. When afflictions press heavily and help is delayed. He says, though the soul may faint, it will not fail. When the believer is in that position, he or she learns to wait. How many of the Psalms reflect this? I could go to many, many Psalms and quote them to you. But here's one. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. 
Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. How difficult it is. Oh, how we want an answer. Oh, how we need release. Oh, how difficult it is to wait. And yet God, by sometimes withholding the help that we so, we so strongly feel that we need, has a purpose in that, and that he increases our, our sense of need and therefore increases our ardor and our desire for him to come and to answer our prayer. And he increases our prayer life uh, because of that. And so there is that uh, waiting. That is the thing that God calls us to do in these circumstances, to wait patiently. It is what endurance is. Are you going through difficult times in your life? Are you facing situations that you need to be corrected and you don't know how to correct them and it's not in your power to correct them and you need for God to do something and you are waiting I call upon you to continue to wait to continue to endure and to continue to look to God's salvation the enemies that he speaks about are another reason for his feeling of a need for God to act. He speaks about them in uh, verses 84 and 85 and 86. He says, how long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. And then we hear this cry, help me, help me. They have almost made an end of me on the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. So the enemies persecute and pursue and they've almost made an end to his life on the earth. That's an interesting turn of phrase. Almost made an end of me on earth. Not of an end of him, but an end of him on earth. He feels that he is even close to death. And that his persecutors will not let go. They will not stop. And we're reminded, are we not? We may not, you may not have people who are laying traps for you, to literal traps to fall into. Uh, you may uh, not have uh, people who are literally pursuing you. But you do have a great enemy. You have an enemy in the devil. And he has many schemes. And we read about those in Ephesians chapter 6 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're urged that in Ephesians chapter 6 to take up the whole armor of God. And each piece is described, and I know that this has been the subject of study on Wednesday night, 
and you are going through this passage. But each piece of the armor has to do with the word of God and the promises of the gospel. And they are those things that are outside of us in which we look to as weapons against the evil one. The word of God, uh, the, uh, the, the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for feet, all of these things. But the enemy pursues us. And the, the psalmist feels this intently. He feels that there is a great enemy against his soul. And they are coming and want to uh, destroy his life. And so it may be that you feel that way as well. That there is uh, the evil one is pursuing you. Take up the shield of the word of God. Uh, and this, I want to say, then leads us to the, uh, the, the fact that so often it is that one of Satan's great weapons against us is to get us to question the word of God. How he comes at us, how he lays that trap. And the trap is usually something in the means, uh, something that he does to get us to think that what God has said in his word to us does not apply, or that we don't, we can't fully trust it with relation to ourselves. And he lays these ambushes. John Calvin says something like this, and I'm changing the wording a little bit just to make it more understandable. He says, do you not, Satan will say things like this, Do you not see yourself as forsaken by God? Where are those promises that you are trusting in? What a wretched creature you are. Oh, don't we hear that so often? Doesn't Satan whisper that in your ear? What a wretched creature you are. You're not anything of what you should be. Can't you see how God has forsaken you? Can't you see that the things that you are trusting in don't pertain to you? They may pertain to other people, but not you. What are we to do in these attacks? What are we to do? Calvin says, we are to hold fast that God is true and faithful. And we are to use the truth of God as a shield to beat back those things that Satan would lay to our charge. Use the truth of God to beat back those things that Satan would lay to your charge. And that brings me to the question, the point of prayer, hope's prayer. And I just want to call attention to the fact that this whole, all of these eight verses are a prayer. We're not reading, we're not reading an epistle. We're not reading a doctrinal explanation. We are reading a prayer of a man who feels himself at the end of himself. And he doesn't know what to do. What does he do? He describes how he's feeling to God. Why? Because he doesn't think that God knows? No. He knows that God already knows all of this that he's going through. But what does he do? He articulates it. He prays. He prays to God. 
And I want to just urge us each to notice and to pay attention to the fact that we are indeed reading prayers. And so the idea being, as we noticed last year, last week, when we talked about uh, Athanasius's comment about the Psalms expressing everything about the human soul, what is the whole idea uh, there? That here we have a model, here we have sort of a, a template for how we also, when we are in these circumstances, can express ourselves. And take up these words as your words when you feel yourself to be in, these, in this condition. And when we pray this way, uh, it's a beautiful thing to contemplate this, and I like this that uh, Charles Bridges says. He says, so succinct and to the point, he says, to complain of God is dishonorable and unbelief. To complain to God is the mark of his elect. I'm just going to pause, just let that sink in a little bit. To complain of God is a mark of unbelief. To complain to God is the mark of his elect who cry to him day and, day and night and he bears with them in their, in their cries. Uh, I think the idea here is that of the, of the widow that Jesus describes as the one who comes persistently crying and Jesus says, how long don't you believe that he will answer, that the heavenly father will answer her for her persistence in prayer. So I want to urge us all that one of the great things that we need to be engaged in is constant prayer, especially when we feel ourselves to be so troubled. The psalmist says in Psalm 6, I am languishing, heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? That's not complaining of God, but it is saying to God, how long? I can't endure anymore. How long? That's a way that we can pray. Another thing, notice in this Psalm, verse uh, 86, at the end of verse 86, help me. Help me. How many times do you pray that, right? Oh, Lord, help me. The psalmist says, uh, very... uh, uh, just a word, but yet a cry for help. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. And then I want us to see, thirdly, hope's sustenance. And this is really the point. And I, I, I think that this whole psalm, you, this whole uh, section of Psalm 119, you can't help but see and notice. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? I become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. And then he says continually throughout this, he, he continually repeats, but I have not forsaken your precepts. Verse 87. And then verse 88. In your steadfast love, 
Give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Notice how he describes the word of God. The testimonies of your mouth. These are the very words that have come out of the mouth of the living God. And to this very living God who has spoken to him and given to him the promise of salvation. He pleads as the one who is the God of the covenant. Who has a love that is steadfast and never changes. Give me life. There's a prayer for you. Give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. And what a, what a beautiful summation, even of the gospel itself. Where it is the Lord Jesus Christ who from his highest heaven gives and pours out his spirit into our hearts. Why? So that we may keep the testimonies that come from his mouth. How hope is sustained by the word of God. We depend not, says Bridges, on what we see or feel, but we depend upon the promises of God. Hope, C.H. Uh, Spurgeon puts it this way, hope alone can keep the soul from fainting. How? By using the smelling salts of the promise. You know how they used to use those smelling salts to, to keep someone who is fainting, to, to, to get them alert. Well, how does, how does God do that? The smelling salts of the promise. Let the promise of the word revive your soul. Let the promise of Christ uh, give you a new, lasting uh, trust and hope in those promises. We see that in Abraham's case. Abraham, had God came to him and made a promise to him. And he hoped against hope. Why? Because he believed that God is able. He was fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised. And throughout this, these eight verses, it is the word of God. It is the word that comes from the mouth of the living God. The God who has made promises to us in Jesus Christ. It is that word in which he places his trust. So do you find yourself in a position from time to time, maybe much more often than you would like, feeling that you come to the end? That's where the psalmist is. How does he, how does he, what does he do? What are we to do? He keeps his eyes and he keeps his focus promise on the promise of God, on the word of God, the word that has come from the mouth of God, the God who is El Shaddai, the God who is able to do all things, the God who is by the work of Christ the mediator, has already done it all in him. And it is a matter merely then of us enduring through, enduring and hoping in the promises of the word of God 
that he has given us so richly in the gospel. My hope and my prayer for you tonight as we read these testimonies, as we read this testimony of the, of the psalmist, that you also will know the truthfulness of the word of God and the truthfulness of the promise in your own life and in your own soul, and that you also will have life. Let us pray. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, we have here in these verses a testimony of the way in which your children often find themselves in a state of, of great difficulty. Yet, O oh God, you are faithful and you are true and you keep us. And you have your purpose. We ask, Father, that you would increase within each one who is here tonight strong hope and sure in the promises of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.